welcome back to the Midwife Podcast. We have a really special guest today. It's Julia Yulberg, and this is a person who means a lot to me. She's a mentor. She helps me with lots of personal things and um, working through Holistic Medicine Club and, yeah, just talking about healing and good good energy. Um, she has been working at a house called Daisy Moses House at Carleton College, um, which has known as the Cookie House. Um, she, she's a, she's just been lovely and been there for I think How 27 years. I have had cookies when I was at Daisy. Yeah, <laughs> cookies are the thing there. Yeah, Daisy Moses. Mm-hmm. Um, so and Julia's also mentored to me when I was growing up in Northfield. She's a figure here in Northfield, and I had a mother-daughter group growing up. And Julia came in and led our group a few times. We did some artwork, and she also led um, all of the girls to do overnight solos. It was super empowering, and she just led us with her joyful, present, mm-hmm. um, really healing, empowered presence. So, yeah. And I actually didn't know that she was a midwife until Rinya set this interview up. She had been a midwife before I knew her, so yes, I'm really yes. excited about that. Can you tell us a little bit more about Julia's background before I we bring her on? I would love to. Julia has a bachelor's in nursing from Mankato State University. She worked at St. Paul Urban Indian Health Board, located in the Red Schoolhouse. And it was there that um, she met Katsi Cook, a Mohawk midwife, and joined a circle of women working on women's health education, doing home births. And... From there, um, afterward, she has done a, a bunch of different holistic um, yeah, pra- healing practices and continued her education for a while. She's trained in medical Qigong, massage, healing touch, sound vibrational healing, and emotional freedom technique. Um, and as a singer and songwriter and storyteller, she's performed solo. And um, with a... Nikonis Women Singers, I think that's how I pronounce it, on NPR, and for numerous other groups. Birth has become on NPR with that. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no, she's a, she's one heck of a lady. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's um, she has a beautiful voice, um, her actual physical voice, and she also just has a presence. Her body language speaks very loud mm-hmm. too. She's she's quite a good presence. Um, and she's for, gonna start us off with a song. Yeah, you're going to hear her. She's going to sing for you. Mm-hmm. It's going to be great. <laughs> and and she, she very often uh, talks about lots of things, like helping me spiritually work through lots of things. I've have been working it as a, um, a birth metaphor for so, so much because she's around birth a lot. And, um, like, for example, in my senior thesis, she was like, you're in labor. You gotta, you gotta let go. You gotta relax. You gotta birth this baby, and then um, afterward, it's like, okay, the placenta now. <laughs> so, it's just, um, it's a metaphor that makes sense for me and for her and other people who work in in birth. Um, she says uh, that birth has become her metaphor for her healing journey. is full of rich, richness and wisdom. Um, and recently, she helped with the home birth of her great niece and welcomed this baby with her first song. And we'll talk about that yes, in we the will. interview. It's, I think, one of the more most beautiful aspects of what Julia brings to birth is mm. singing babies, their first song yes. in this world. So without further ado, here we go. It's Julia. Mm. 
space. Welcome, welcome to this place. Welcome, welcome to your space. Welcome, welcome to this place. May your spirit be at peace. May your heart be at peace. May your spirit be at peace. May your heart be at peace. Welcome, welcome to your place. Welcome, welcome to this space. May your spirit be at peace. May your heart be at peace. Wow, thank you so much for that, Julia. And it's so great to have you on our show today. We're really looking forward to talking with you all about midwifery and all of the journey and experiences that you've been through with your work as a midwife and well, beyond. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Mm -hmm. So when we, we were talking before we started the show, you we really thought it would be great for you to share a little bit about your birth story and to start from the beginning of what is you. <laughs> well, I want to share my birth story because I think especially during various times in our culture, birth has been really crazy. <laughs> and yes. my birth story sort of shows that, and my birth story also um, tells, informs my spirit of what my journey is and why some things have been such a struggle for me in my life. Okay, so my birth story is my mother um, is an avid reader. And when she's reading, she blacks out just about everything. So she was in labor and reading away, and she wanted to finish something. Well, she finished it, and then she realized, uh-oh, Julia's coming. <laughs> My baby's coming. Wow. And so it was a big scramble to the hospital. I was almost born in the taxi cab. Wow. But they got me up onto the, to the OB delivery floor, in, the, in a hospital up in Minneapolis. It was Deaconess Hospital at the time. And the nurse said, don't let her come, don't let her come. Keep your legs together, keep your legs together. Don't let her come, don't let her come. The doctor's not here, the doctor's not here. <laughs> and my mom um, wasn't taught to listen to her own body mm. and to say, forget it. She's coming, just hold out your hands and catch her. Yeah. <laughs> no. So um, I wondered why in my life that energetically and spiritually I would just be really taking off and I would hit a wall. Uh-oh, be afraid, be afraid, be afraid. And wow. fear would come in and I'd pull myself back. And then I would just get into birthing something big again and fear would come in, and I'd pull myself back. Mm -hmm. And I think people, if you can find out about your birth, you might find that it is telling. Mm -hmm. and, and so I went from there um, into being a nurse, and I worked in a small-town hospital. And um, it was still at the time when births were done in what looked like a operating room. Um, it's a metal table with stirrups that you put your legs up in, ice cold. Oh, 
God. ice cold cement floor tile so you could scrub it just like a just like an operating room so everything could be sterile. Mm. Shaved, beta deaned scrub for the um, pubic hair, mm-hmm. um, which is god awful. Most women are just like, oh, it itches so awful when yeah. it's done because you get a lot of little nicks and stuff, mm-hmm. and then the hair is just itchy. Um, and they were there was grippers to hold your hands on, and you were supposed to be strapped to the grippers. Oh and this is birth. Now, we have to ask ourselves, how did everybody accept that as normal? Mm. How? 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 How did we say, how did we let the medical system go so far crazy with what they believed and they believed this. This was the best way for birth. They, these male doctors believed this 100%. But how did we get so far crazy? That's my question for that time. How did we? Mm-hmm. So anyways, I'm a young nurse. This is my first job. Doctors always are yelling at you, get this, get that, do this, do that. Mm-hmm. So the woman is in, I have a woman in labor. She's, she's in the sterile room and the spotlight's down on her, just like she's being operated on. Mm. How calming is that? I don't know. But anyways, <laughs> she's on an ice-cold metal table. Her legs are up, and, and I will not strap her arms down. I will not. And the doctor says, you don't have her arms strapped. And I said, I will not. I will not strap her arms down. During the birth, the woman reaches down when the baby's head's coming, and she touches the baby's head. Such a natural response. Most women during birth will, oh, I feel the baby's head. I feel the baby's head. Mm -hmm. And that kind of gives them that extra excitement, like, I can do this. I can do this. Mm -hmm. Even if they're really exhausted, they Mm -hmm. feel that baby's head, more energy they can push. He slapped her hands and told her to stay out of my sterile field. Oh, my God. And this wasn't a bad man. This was a doctor who just believed what he was taught and trained. So incredible. Mm. Made such a big impression on me. Mm. I went in her room the next day, and she was crying. Mm. And I asked her what was wrong. And, And she said... I feel so ashamed. I didn't do my birthright. Mm. And and right away, in my mind, this big light bulb went on, was no woman should come out of her birth feeling like she didn't do it right. Mm. Well, however her birth went, if she needed a C-section, fine. If she really needed it, she needed it. She shouldn't feel like she didn't do it right. If, if she could have her home birth and it went the way she wanted, if she had her hospital birth, whatever birth she had, she should come out of that experience feeling like she was the most powerful being in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and that simple slap of her hands made her a five-year-old, made her like a stupid five-year-old who didn't have any sense to know that she was in his sterile field. Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. when she's touching her little baby when it's coming out. Mm -hmm. So, so strange. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how did this interest in, in creating, it sounds like a spark was lit for you, seeing, you know, how the hospital births were going down. Like, what guided you, and this, this goes into our next question too, is what's your journey to becoming a midwife, but what guided you into creating empowering spaces and like what within you knew that it could be something different for women? Well, my journey just sort of took me on. I realized I am not really this kind of nurse. <laughs> I am not, I am not interested in passing out medication all day long mm -hmm. and I wasn't really interested in the emergency duh, stuff, yeah. and I was in a small town hospital, so I could have a car accident, a heart person, and a baby all at the same time. Wow. That was not, I was too fragmented for me. That's not the pace I could work in. Mm -hmm. Obviously, with heart issues that I have, I have some heart issues um, that I'm taking care of now in my life, but to me, obviously, if I'd kept going on that kind of a stress path, I would have probably had them much earlier. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and anyways, um, it just didn't seem like it was my path. Um, you listened to your intuition. So I did some different things. <laughs> I listened to my intuition. I went to seminary, oh, cool. not to be a pastor, but I wanted to study theology, and I did huh. this for a year. Wow. Huh. And while I was at seminary, I took a peace-building class, and I got involved with um, a Native American survival school in the Twin Cities in St. Paul called the Red School House. It's mm -hmm. no longer there, but it was there for lots of years. And it was started because Native kids were not making it in public school systems in St. Paul and Minneapolis. And um, so they, they had started a school system. And so through this peace building class, I sort of hooked up with this school. Mm. And I wasn't really, I was working my way in seminary at a nursing home. Um, but I wasn't on like a career path. I was working to be in school, really. Mm -hmm. um, and I love elders, so I always have. Um, um, and I love listening to elder stories, so that, that part was just great. Mm -hmm. And again, I had a little bit of problems being the, the medicine, the pill person, pills, mm -hmm. pills, pills. Um, but I'd started at going to the Red Schoolhouse, and I helped with a project called um, Native American Walk Together. Um, it was back in the days when you did all these walks to earn money for the school people. And I took kids to churches to talk about their school, and, um, and that was a whole other learning lesson of itself. Um, because I noticed that people would surround these young kids and dump their white stuff on them. Mm. <laughs> like, why should we believe in your school? There's so many Native Americans that are alcoholic. Why blah, blah, blah. Oh. And these were just kids, um, high school, junior high. They didn't need this. Mm. And I found myself always having to kind of intervene. Mm. At some places, I mean, some people were very appropriate and very kind and very giving, and mm. but I just came into these things, mm. pockets of this stuff. And racism. Racism, pockets mm -hmm. of 
garbagey, icky energy junk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And a very close friend of mine came to the seminary, and we had the same thing happen. She talked, and she shared her story. Her father had been um, missionized. She shared her story, and and um, from sharing that story of her pain of being traditional and yet having a father who was, had been missionized, mm. and the pain in, in in mission school. It was so honest and authentic, and then mm. people came and surrounded her afterwards and tried to save her. Mm. And I had, again, I had to stop that. I had to start standing up in the world and stopping things. Before I was quite shy and introverted, and mm. I couldn't stand up to that doctor. This was my very first job, you mm-hmm. know, before. But then at the Red Schoolhouse, um, along comes Gudgie Cook, who is um, probably seventh-generation midwife, a Mohawk woman. And she had been training in women's health issues down at a university um, in the Southwest. Mm-hmm. She came to the Twin Cities. She wanted to start a group that would work with Native women's health issues and birth. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so she asked a group of Native women, and she asked me and a couple other women to be cohorts in that. And so when, if you ask me, am I a midwife today in that, do I birth babies today? Um, no, I doula, I help, I go to nieces and nephews' births. And, but, um, and at that time, I felt like I'm not a midwife, we are a midwife oh. <laughs> because there was a group of us and there was a group of, um, you know, usually four to five of us at a birth. Mm-hmm. And it was just some of the most powerful circles mm-hmm. that I've been involved in. And I know, looking back, that the reason why it was such a, it was so important for me to be a part of this experience and why Gudgy probably on the energy field asked me to be a part of it was it it starts answering my own birth story mm-hmm. of why can't you just hold out your hands and catch me yeah. <laughs> why are you trying to push me back and hold me mm-hmm. in and and hold legs together and all of that crazy mm-hmm. crazy stuff if I'm coming that well then just catch me <laughs> wow um, and that the that the nurse there didn't feel confident enough and probably had been in hundreds of births but without the doctor she couldn't catch me mm-hmm. and and that's kind of what mm-hmm. I think that's what I was working through in a very deeper spiritual way mm-hmm. was I was kind of working through my own birth story mm-hmm. and I was looking at um, this was in the 70s, um, and because women were starting to choose home birth a lot, mm. then the medical institution began to switch. So then they started with the birthing room, mm. and you can have a birthing plan and all of this. And so that was good, but that came out of the home birth movement, mm. who medical people thought were absolutely radical, and if I, at the time, if I would have been, for some reason, identified in that movement, 
because um, I have an RN, I could lose, could have lost my license back mm. then, because wow. that would be practicing medicine without a license, mm. and my license doesn't um, allow me. You have to have like a medical degree to be able to do birth. You can't do a birth as an RN mm -hmm. unless you go through midwifery school. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which was just kind of beginning all those schools. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it was very new mm -hmm. where nurses were training to be midwives and midwives were starting to be in hospitals and um, that all came out of the home birth movement. Mm -hmm. It sounds like hospitals were switching to having settings that are more conducive to a calmer birth because of competitive um, market issues. It doesn't really seem like much of their attitude has really shifted. Looking at today, it's still not a lot of evidence-based care, but from the way you're describing it, it's like once the natural birth movement happened, all of a sudden, hospital systems were threatened because the customers were getting taken away. So I think it, mm -hmm. it sounds to me like it's just a response to the consumers. Like, you know, if the demand mm -hmm. is there, then it's going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. But currently, um, maybe that fire has uh, died down a little bit. Maybe it's yeah. on the upward trend again. It's, mm -hmm. it's an odd thing um, because at that time, how they did it, it was, they really did care about the birth plan um, because they knew that was really important to the family, the birthing family. Um, they made places where the family could stay and kids could stay. Kids could be a part of the birth. They just created this whole more family mm -hmm. um, experience. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, C-section rates were really high. And as a... Um, but I still in, think they're higher now. Yes, as an industrial nation, yeah. we had the highest infant mortality rate and, and maternal, maternal mm -hmm. um, mortality rate. Of any of the, like Denmark, these are all countries that do births at home. Denmark, England, Netherlands, um, Netherlands um, Germany. where it's just normal. And primarily use midwives. Yeah, primarily use midwives and have a really very competent system set up um, for the higher risk birth or for, the, for when a midwife has to send one in, mm -hmm. send a woman in and send the birth in. The way we're set up is you still are pretty underground if you're doing a home birth. Mm -hmm. um, you may have a trained home birth person or you may have an underground home birth person who has, who has learned in different ways, like through native ways or mm -hmm. by going down to the farm or some other, some other ways of learning midwifery. Um, but there is, there is no system that, that is really good about transferring someone in without mm. it being shaming, without it being a failed, a failed event yeah. where you failed. Mm. Um, because I, I truly believe um, birthing can be a beautiful, peaceful, calm event wherever it is, but it takes some real attention and real intention 
and real someone who's really reading the energy of the space and setting up the circle of protection mm -hmm. and um, being kind to the medical people because mm -hmm. also sometimes with, with the home birth movement, you're kind of like at loggerheads mm -hmm. with the medical people. And so mm -hmm. right away there's this defensiveness and this like, mm -hmm. But to try and really diffuse that right mm -hmm. away because that's not helpful. Mm -hmm. That's not helpful to the birthing mm -hmm. family. Um, I've been at some doula births lately, and they're planned home births, and they end up transferring. And I'm, I'm surprised at how well the transfer does go. I mean, the medical establishment might not fully acknowledge the like the home birth midwives as full care providers, but they have a full chart, and you know they've they're. You know, share, you know, sharing the full chart and transferring the person into other care. And it, I think the, at least in the Twin Cities, I think that they've done a lot of work to build those bridges and have um, more healthy transfers. Mm -hmm. And I, there, I don't feel like there's a lot of shame. That's good. That's because there used the, to be a lot families. of a lot So that's, of that gives, that makes it hopeful. And having talked to home birth midwives, I think that they've done a lot of work in their community to build mm -hmm. those bridges and relationships with. That's exciting you know, to hear. And do midwife to yeah. midwife transfers, yeah. so home birth yeah. midwives to hospital midwives, nice. and so right. I think maybe on another podcast we can interview some of the key people in, in the Twin Cities that have been mm. a part of, you know, thinking about how to make those transfers um, go more smooth. smooth. Yeah, Minnesota is particularly a very birth friendly state. I think most of the country. Yeah. Not only is it not legal, but there's just a conflict of interest mm -hmm. between mm -hmm. obstetricians and midwives in terms of business, but also in practice. Like mm -hmm. at the core, they really mm -hmm. think that birth is a pathological event. They treat it as if something's wrong with the mother, and midwives have a basic tenant of their education that says that birth is normal and it's a physiological process that the body has evolved to do and to do safely. Um, and I, I have a question for you because I hear this a lot of the, some of the pushback against the natural birth movement. Um, home birth might be safe for women and there's evidence of that. But when people are home, they obviously don't have access to the pain medications that you would have in a hospital. So why would women decide to go through a birth and feel all of this pain and not have access to pain medication if she wants it? Because a lot of times I hear that that turns into um, a way to control women's bodies. So back in the day, pain medication was actually thought of as an empowering thing for women to do, mm -hmm. to not feel the pain. And so they thought medicalization actually was taking power back. But now actually feeling the pain um, gets um, some labels like it's barbaric, it's, you know, savage, we, it's primitive, it's things that we didn't have the technology back in the day, so of course we suffered a lot, but now we could take the pain away. So why are you making women suffer unnecessarily? What's the point? Well, because if you would look at a hundred different cultures than ours, you would find out that birth wasn't all that painful, painful, painful. Mm. If you... Um, if you go through, yes, there's times of 
Ah, you know. Yes, um, uh, you might want to edit all those screams, but <laughs> but there, yes, there's times of that. But that feels good, you know. That feels good to let that out and let that and feel that total sense of going into your body, and it's so primal. Mm. Um, and there's all these ways that women have learned around the world to have birth basically very calmly, very, um, part of it is how they take care of themselves before the birth. Mm. Basically, it's what they believe in their head. If they think birth is painful, it's going to be painful. Mm. If you have fears about pain, you will have pain. So if you do hip, hip birth hypnosis, that's what a birth hypnosis works with families on. Mm -hmm is how to get rid of those messages mm. of fear about the birth, fear about the pain of the birth, that I can't handle it, mm. that I won't be able to get through it, or all mm -hmm. those stuck things. Um, that's where um, a new, well, it's not so new, I guess it's about 20 years, but tapping, and working with mothers on, with tapping on the meridian lines and having them talk through their fears mm. and and their... their um, their, their, their fear that it's going to be too painful, that it's going to be too much. Um, helping women beforehand to learn how to relax. What our culture doesn't know how to do is to manage stress, mm -hmm. to relax. Mm -hmm. um, not all women, when they're pregnant, um, change their diet to a healthy diet. Not all women do yoga or good things that will help them with squatting, will help them with uh, the energy they need to get through the birth. Um, those are all things that some cultures, just the women just are out there every day, you know, squatting and doing stuff and mm -hmm. active. And, mm -hmm. um, and so we just have to bring in a whole different view of ourselves as women and... When, when a woman is pregnant, that gives her nine great months to explore really who she is, mm. what she really wants, how she wants to be in relationship to her child, mm. um, how she wants to nurture that baby inside of her, um, how she wants to nurture herself more, mm. um, breathing, learning all the breathing mm. exercises she can, mm -hmm. um, it, doing Imagery, I mean, there's so much out there, meditation, imagery, tapping, um, so many things that are there, Lamas, um, different specific breathing techniques, which, by the way, I have to say, for some reason, it might be me, but I can't track with Lamas when I'm supporting a person. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I found that women can't, can't, weren't able to track it. I mean, I have to do this now, I have to do this now, I have to do this now. And so actually we went to imagery and um, we went to imagery about breathing in all the way with the baby. You and the baby are breathing together. Mm. Then you get some really nice, good deep breaths. You and the baby are breathing together. And then, yes, it's great to know the, the panting time when you can't push. Um, Mm. to pant and yeah. and uh, to keep you from pushing. But Lamaze was such a scripted breathing thing that um, the women I was working with all felt like they were failing at it. So, mm. so we just kind of skipped 
into visualization. Mm -hmm. But if it works for a woman to really know that and know it well, mm -hmm. do it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you shared with us about working with a group of midwives underground. You were trained by the seven-generation Mohawk mm -hmm. midwife. Um, tell us about what care looked like with your it was five group of five midwives. And what take us kind of through the we journey had, of caring for a woman, and maybe share a few birth stories of what, how you worked together. We as a team. had the best times. We would get <laughs> together and have tea probably once a week with the family, mm -hmm. with the woman and her partner, or and children. Um, our part of our group may have kids, and they may come along too, mm -hmm. as a part. Doreen had babies during part of this time. One of my uh, Anishinaabe sisters who you interviewed also but she may have her baby with and be nursing and we'd be talking and we would talk about birth and how great it was and the women would the family would share um, what they would want and what they're thinking about we talk about what their fears were mm. we would get them out in the open had they been sexually abused um, mm. we needed to know that because sometimes that really stopped a birth because right in that area where all that trauma is held. Mm -hmm. There you go. A big birth has to come through. So that sometimes was... We talk about... Um, we would do urine tests and blood pressures and listen to the baby's heartbeat. And we didn't do vaginal exams. Um, we only did at the very end in labor. And I do know some midwives who who basically almost do none. Um, and their philosophy is it's, it's, a, um, it's an energetic block mm. to the birth pathway mm. um, that it tightens up the cervix whenever you're checking to see how the cervix is doing. And so it is good to know sometimes if you think there's a problem. You do, you do want to know somebody's progressing. You don't want to be in labor for 36 hours and find out that you're at a stage four. Or, yeah, at four centimeters. At four centimeters. <laughs> that, that would be like mismanagement. So, so they check only if they think something's wrong, but not if everything feels right. But that's that's just one mid, a couple of midwives I've heard share that, um, but um, so we 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 would check at different times in labor. We did, um, but the care was a lot was a lot of emotional and a lot of spiritual and a lot of how what's the ceremony you you see your baby coming into. Um, what's the circle? What's who? Who's going to be there? Um, who are you hoping to be there? And then, like I say, in birth, everybody can have a plan, and um, and you can do a lot of work so that your plan comes the way your plan comes. But sometimes a baby has a whole different plan, and then you have to be willing mm -hmm. to go with that. Mm -hmm. And if that means um, transferring into the hospital, and back in the '70s, there's, there were um, there were women and couples that were like, "No, I'm staying home no matter what, even mm -hmm. if I die." And I, I'm, not, I, I just 
I'm not wanting to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I'm not wanting to hang on to any concept in the world so hard that I couldn't be flexible and do what was best for another human being, and that would have been the baby, Mm -hmm. Um, no matter how my belief systems were. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I would want to be able to, mm-hmm. and and um, I realized that too. Um, at the time, there were there was different levels of some middle midwives were more radical too, and they would stay really a long time. And we decided as a group that when we felt unsafe, that it was unsafe, mm-hmm. and that we would just trust that transfer mm-hmm. to a hospital. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It sounds like you take the spiritual and psychological aspects of birth like just as seriously as the physical aspects of birth. And it, it sort of seems to me that this culture focuses a lot on the body. Um, and uh, we know this very well because we run a club together at Carleton called Holistic Medicine Club. Um, and we think a lot about the mind-body-spirit connection and how health really has to incorporate all three of those things in order to just make sense it, to reflect the way we live. That's how we have to um, treat people. And it, there's sort of this overemphasis on the physical aspects of birth, and we don't take seriously um, mental or spiritual components. That's what it sounds like to me. And so mm-hmm. it's a whole philosophical issue deeply embedded in our culture. And how do you work with women who don't live holistically and all of a sudden want to birth holistically or you know, are being told by people who live holistically that they should birth in a holistic way that takes seriously the psychological, spiritual, and the physical? You see the well, problem? Well, I'm just going to have to go back then to what we were doing. We met in a circle. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no shame if you're not ready. And because I'm not doing births right now, um, but I know in talking to my sister Doreen, um, if a woman isn't ready to make really major changes, like in her health, like if a woman comes and says, I want to do a home birth, but I'm going to go out and be drinking, or I'm going to go out and I'm just going to eat crap food and not take care of myself. No, you're not a home birth candidate, and that's okay. Birth in the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> Go where where you're safest. And, totally. Um, that would not be a safe experience at home. And it and it also goes to the partner. Mm. If you are if you're gonna do this as a team, and it could be for some women and and this is why I think birthing on reservations right now and all the interest in women on reservations about birthing and about taking back the birthing ceremony for the Medewan and the Anishinaabe people, it is, it is a key beginning of a major shift in health for the whole people. Because mm, wow. if you start with your birth and you have you see this vision of wholeness and health and you make all these changes for yourself as a pregnant mom mm. and as a dad getting ready to bring this baby into the world and maybe that means for some 
eating a much healthier diet. Maybe mm. it means raising a garden. Maybe it means, um, maybe it means getting out and walking a half mile every day together or something. Um, it has, it's different for different people. But um, and maybe it means giving up smoking. Maybe it means giving up um, alcohol. Um, all of this. If you have that vision now, what's going to happen if you just keep going with that vision mm. of health and wholeness? Mm. I mean, it's amazing. It'll just ripple mm. out. And if you start raising your child and you start saying, okay, well, um, I don't have access to a lot of food, but you know what? I could just make a garden. Mm. Some women and I could just make a garden. We could make a herb bed and re-raise re our medicine or whatever medicine we, we need to raise. We could have our gardens. We could begin to have food even if we didn't economically have a good base. Mm. Um, so home birth for a while was really wealthy women actually mm. because they were the women who had enough money to do all the really healthy, eat well and and uh, <laughs> have lots of good exercise classes and everything. But that's not really, ha it, can, it can be just wherever you are, but it's your commitment and it's your vision, your willingness to be whole. Wow, and that's, that makes so much sense um, because I keep hearing from a lot of midwives and people who really, really believe in this natural um, birth and that m many people should discover it and the power of it. And I hear all the time that it's a healing process. Like birth heals and it can affect the whole world. Like if you listen to midwives talk sometimes, they don't just talk about birth, they talk about the implications of that birth and how um, the way you birth influences the way you live and you just mm -hmm. basically spelled it out. Now the phrase birth heals makes a lot of sense, mm -hmm. more mm -hmm. sense than it did to and, me before. And even thinking about the baby's first experience. Oh, this yeah. This is their orientation <laughs> to the world that they're living in. Yeah. And so if it's on that sterile, cold table. Sterile, cold table <laughs> with all this panic like she's coming too fast. Okay, then I'm born. And this was the next process. They probably let my mom hold me a little bit. And let, then they like you that word let, let, let her. <laughs> yeah, they let her. And then they washed me up, put me in a plastic bassinet, and rolled me into a room with a bunch of other babies that I had no connection to. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was lot that were all lost too. Wow. We're all abandoned. Wow. We're all abandoned in there, yeah. feeling abandoned. And so again, wow. you grow up in as an adult, do you have so many people in our culture have abandonment issues. Why? <laughs> wow. Well, because we were taken away from our moms right away, and or our moms mm -hmm. were drugged mm -hmm. and didn't even know we were there, mm -hmm. or yeah. <laughs> whatever. And we we didn't have that welcoming. Mm. And mm. it's so different. And I claim that for myself mm -hmm. now. Yeah. But I've had to like, Work I've on. had to give that back to me because. Mm -hmm. It and what's there. been that reprocess of midwifery helping you reclaim mm -hmm. some part of yourself? How did that come to be? Just because I, being a part of the circle, 
um, and and maybe also because um, three quarters of the circle was Native women, mm-hmm. um, because because their worldview was different than the worldview that was trying to be knocked into me, but my personal worldview was more like their worldview. Mm-hmm. But I hid it because I was I knew I was different from a little kid on. And I didn't want anybody to wreck me <laughs> and totally squash it. Yeah. So I kept myself pretty internal. Oh. Um, but my worldview pretty much matched um, the sacredness of the circle, the mm-hmm. sacredness of life, um, mm-hmm. the, the ceremony of birth. Mm-hmm. That pretty much matched what I believed inside, mm-hmm. but wasn't letting it out because I didn't want you know, co-workers, doctors, nurses, everybody to squash me. Mm. So I just kept it very hidden. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I would have, if you would have asked me in my 20s, if I would do things like what healing touches, energy work, tapping, if I would be working on all these levels, I would have looked at you like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> But um, after, after I felt like I kind of grew up with, with being a part of the circle and the births. Mm-hmm. And, and the births brought out another part of me, and that was the first song, um, the songs that I sang for the babies. Mm. Now, you should have a song when you come. Everybody should have a song when they come. So, so like, um, when I was up in Canada and helping birth um, little Menachemae, um, the song that came for him was One winter's morning, one bright sunny morning You called to us, we called to you Come little, little baby, come little, little baby Come with beauty, come with love And mm-hmm. just kind of singing these little songs where you're mm-hmm. waiting and mm-hmm. Um, it's very calm, it's very quiet, the night moves on, you know, it's mm-hmm. like the, the morning starts happening. Um, and then another one. Um, on the day you were born, a beautiful light came and dwelt among us to sing this baby, you know, on the day you were born. Mm-hmm. If we knew that when we were born, that we were this light, and we've come to the world to dwell as this light, would we have all the problems that we have? <laughs> oh, and wow. I'm just internalizing this mm-hmm. now. Yeah. I'm just really internalizing this mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really grateful for the gift of that midwifery circle. And what that taught me was, it's not really just about birth, because even though I don't do birth, except for I do doula, I help my Ojibwe sister have all of her children, all six of them. Mm. Um, I was one of the birthing circles, um, and then when she did go into the hospital, I was I was her doula person there. Um, and now all my nieces and nephews, I've been at most of their births. My great nieces and nephews now, I've been at most of their births. Um, and the the circle is not just about that birth of a baby, but you realize it's a Dueling and midwifing is informs us just about our life. Mm. 
we're, we're midwives in the world. We're midwives to what we believe in. We're midwives to what we care about. We're midwives to other people. We're midwives to um, things in ourselves that over and over need to be born. Mm-hmm. And if we can see that, we don't maybe just squash ourselves right away because we want to sing. On the day you were born, a beautiful light came and dwelt among us. And so when you're birthing something new, instead of getting afraid and squashing it right away, you want to be able to hold your hands out and say, okay, I'll catch you. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's probably my fight. That makes so much sense. You, You say it in such a way that just makes intuitive sense mm-hmm. and it just it's it's amazing i i have felt for a long time that these things have been true but i don't know how to say it i don't know how to explain it but that's such a simple way of, yeah. of putting it and it's so powerful mm-hmm. it feels so true i get the shivers yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. my dad i was a midwife for my dad he mm-hmm. died he was in hospice when was he the most healed Probably the most healed I've seen my dad in his whole life was during his dying process. And most people think, of course, if you're dying, that's the opposite of healing. Mm -hmm. But no, Mm -hmm. he was totally healing. Mm -hmm. And the day he left, I think he he birthed into total wholeness. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so I felt like my sisters and I and my mother, we were midwives. Mm -hmm. And our job was to to make the space around, to hold the space, to be calm, peaceful, supportive, loving, mm-hmm. so that he could do whatever he needed to do before he left. Mm. Wow. It sounds like the job of a midwife is something like foster, fostering a reconnection in a world that is full of of separation it's to me I think a theme that emerges so often in my um, experiences and my readings and in these interviews with people who are familiar with birth um, and who are midwives to the world and to um, to births is that um, we have um, shifted into a culture that has separated us. You you talked about how you were separated from your mom. You went from literally being inside of your mom, physically connected to her through this umbilical cord, and then you're completely isolated, completely swaddled, isolated, not even in the same room as your mom at all. And even during birth um, or during labor, um, we see that technology um, really encourages separation from of the practitioner to the laboring mom. Because they're looking at the monitors. I know. (laughs) Now this is something I have noticed about everyone. And this is even, um, even women I know that are choosing more of a ceremony birth. But once they get into the hospital, I really, this is something to really to talk about people before they have their baby. And to spend some good conversations with, with with the birthing family. Um. Once that monitor gets on, everybody watches it. The nurse comes in and watches it. The partners watch it. The visitors watch it. The mother-in-law watches it. The doula watches it. Everybody gets hooked into looking at the monitor. And what I think is 
Bring yourself a nice dark scarf. Yeah. <laughs> Put it over the monitor. Have them tune out the, the monitor. It's like the making volume. sounds and it's spinning Have out. Have them take like... the volume down. <laughs> Put the... Put a beautiful scarf over it yes. or a beautiful wall hanging or a print or something. And yes, then the medical people can look at it and they mm. can look at it at their station or wherever else they can pick it up on mm -hmm. or they can come in and look at it. But everybody doesn't have to look at it. Mm -hmm. And what that does to the birthing mom is it splits herself out because then she is not there in here. She is in there. Oh, that wasn't a very good contraction. What do you mean? <laughs> Tell yourself. Yeah, she's reading the graph instead of tuning into she's her body. She's reading the graph instead of, yeah. like, feeling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's distracting. I mean, it makes loud sounds, and it's spitting out physical paper graphs the entire time. Yeah. It's a machine. What is the machine called? It's measuring contractions. I don't know what it's called. Well, it's measuring the baby's heartbeat and the contractions. And, um, and um, they monitor the whole time. When we first were doing um, um, birthing rooms and stuff in hospitals and women were making up their, their birth list of what they wanted to have happen, um, their birthing plans, that was one thing they were being allowed to not do unless there was a crisis. Unless monitoring. there was a was monitoring, because mm -hmm. monitoring puts you to bed, <laughs> mm -hmm. or you can get up and walk along, but you have to carry all this equipment. <laughs> yeah, it's counterintuitive. It's not very free. No. So, but now I have noticed mm -hmm. when I've gone in lately that that's the first thing they do is hook you up, mm -hmm. and that's the last thing they mm -hmm. take you off of. Well, if you're not being induced, it's actually not medically necessary to be you right. know, mm -hmm. hooked up to the monitors, and there's some really big studies out there. We can link them um, to this podcast as well about, the, about yeah. you know, pretty much the only thing that continuous fetal monitoring creates is a higher c-section rate mm -hmm. wow yeah <laughs> it doesn't actually yeah. reduce birth outcomes people just go to cesarean more often right but it doesn't yeah. reduce reduce risk yeah. there's a lot of counterintuitive yeah. policies in yeah. hospitals including they don't let you eat and drink because sometimes some you, yeah. do, some don't it's, it really depends on who's where there you're and at the yeah. but mm -hmm. i think we should end you should read your your um mm -hmm. quote sure and then um, I'm going to sing one more chant. Mm -hmm. okay. And I think that we're coming to, to the wrap of coming this. Yes. yes. It feels like we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. So before the interview, um, I had discovered this lovely quote. It has to do with intuition. And I was looking into intuition because I'm writing my senior thesis about intuition and birth right now for my philosophy major at Carleton College. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, of all people to talk about intuition, um, it was Albert Einstein who actually valued intuition a lot. And a lot of his um, um, discoveries um, relied on intuition um, rather than his rational mind. So let me go ahead and read it for you. He said, quote, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift, and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant and has forgotten the gift. 
Right. Here's to Albert. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Amen. Yes, let's let's uh, change that. Let's let's start honoring the gift and the servant and balance that out. Yes. <laughs> so um, I'm just going to end with another, um, like these chants that come at births or at other births in life and the kind of work I do now feel like births, doing energy work with people. Mm. But um, may we be safe, may we be peaceful, May we be healthy and happy. May we live with ease and grace. May we be safe. May we be peaceful. May we be healthy and happy. May we live with ease and grace. Shanti, Shanti. Shanti. Thank you so much, Julia. Yes, thank you for letting me bring the story out. Mm. It's important Mm. for me to keep honoring this part of my story. Mm. You birthed the story. Maybe we're midwives now. (laughs) Yeah, we're midwives, but oh, we are.